This is the Movie Hall of Fame for Friday, December 4th, 2020. I'm Nico. I'm your host. And on the other side of the desk, the mank to my wells, it's Adam Hall. Oh, yeah. Wait, I'm mank? I don't know. What do you want to be? I'll be mank. That's pretty cool. Okay. I'm a raging alcoholic that doesn't have his life together. Manky. <laughs> it's Orson Wells. It's Orson Wells. Man, I wish I could do a good Orson impression. No one can. No one can. And mm-hmm. people have tried. There was a guy who with the, uh, I don't know, the, the, what, was, what was that show where there were two mice uh, and one was really smart and one was really stupid and it was a cartoon and Tom and Jerry. No, no mice, mice, Nico. Uh, Jerry was a mouse. Yeah, but Tom was a cat. Oh, uh, are you talking about pinky in the brain? Pinky in the brain. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> pinky. And pinky. The, <laughs> the, who had the actor who plays the brain or voices the brain yeah. was always going for Orson Welles and he did such a good job that he voiced Orson Welles in Ed Wood the Tim Oh Burton word film. so word. What, it wasn't Vincent, Vincent D'Onofrio doing an impression it was that actor oh is that right yeah oh I didn't know that hmm. yeah it's hard it's a hard po- actually yeah you're right the brain kind of does sound like Orson Welles though yeah 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 exactly. that, that's I, yeah he's very much doing that uh hey how you doing okay I'm fine hanging I'm, in there I'm, I'm all right it's been it's been interesting I, I, I desperately just want to go over our, our recent texts if we got to talk about anything. Sure, we can this, do it. This is just sort of funny to me. I just broke this down in a podcast <laughs> that I recorded, but yeah. I'm down to talk about it because... You just talked about this in another podcast? Literally just did a culture two hours ago. Oh, wow. Okay. But no, I, there's, there are many ways to approach this particular topic, so go for it. No, I just think it's uh, it's funny talking about tenant and w- whether or not we have like ill will towards it. I I think I sort of do. I don't know if I. <laughs> Why is everyone blaming tenant for an entire industry collapsing? No, I, I'm not. I'm not. It I'm, was it, going this way anyway. Not, I, I don't understand this. It's not that I'm so much blaming tenant for it. It's just sort of the mindset behind those who were pushing for tenant. Yeah, I think I just. It's not that I like. I hate them. I just find them very annoying. I find it very the Nolan fans. I find it. Vi- <laughs> no, not even the Nolan, Nolan himself. Uh-huh. I just find the attitude very annoying that they honestly thought it was going to work. Uh, and just like, guys, like, yeah, <laughs> like how, how is the reality check not hit yet? Like, yeah. I don't understand. No, I think it has. Um, has it? I look at Wikipedia and they say the movie currently has grossed this much, but it's probably going to break even like, no, call it what it is. Yeah. It's, it's a, a bomb. It's a bomb. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's, that's par for the course, right? No, they usually are pretty quick to call this shit a bomb. It's been out since when? The studio's always spinning, man. Look how much they spun Quibi when Quibi came that's out. It's like, <laughs> don't worry, hey. folks, we're going to turn the corner any day now. That we're going to write this ship. That was a Quibi was a joke made at a poker table that no one took seriously, okay? <laughs> as soon as it came out, we're like, wait, for real? We're actually doing <laughs> we're this? We're actually going to do that? We're oh, actually okay. remaking The Fugitive in eight-minute episodes? <laughs> They did that? I didn't know they were remaking The Fucking Fugitive. Bro, they did a season-long reboot of The Fugitive oh, on no. Quibi with eight-minute episodes. What? With, like, movie stars. Like, like, I think, like, Christoph Waltz was in it or something. Well, that's only completely stupid. Let, hold, let me check who's in The <laughs> oh, Fugitive. Jesus. I have not seen a second of this show, but if you can even call it a show. Uh, let's see. Uh, fugitive... Okay, it's a television show starring Boyd Holbrook okay. and Brian Garrity, and it ran for 14 episodes on Quibi, each of them nine minutes long. 
what does that equate to? 14 An hour and 51 minutes. So they just made a movie movie. and broke it up into 14 parts. Yes. Okay. Is the movie any good? I have not heard a thing about the (laughs) I have no one seen it. Okay. Here's the thing, Nico. I have, I only hear about Quibi through you and nothing else. Right. That's it. Yeah. No. And I'm still not sure it exists. (laughs) I mean, I played around with it for like a week, but I mean, half of these shows, it's like, there's, you didn't actually make Chrissy Teigen a judge, did you? Like that's, oh my God. you know, <laughs> I like using you as a guinea pig for these certain things. Cause I would, ne- I was never, ever, ever going to l- indulge Quibi. Yeah. But if you had c- come to me and said, you know what, Adam, I, cause I try everything streaming. Yeah. Uh, go, go ahead. Give it a shot or d- don't, don't even come close to this thing. You yeah. Know? Um, so th- thank you for doing the Lord's work. <laughs> yeah. I'm always here to help you out. Yeah. They did a most dangerous game reboot too. What? That was the one with Christoph Waltz. Uh, that was like Liam Hemsworth. What? Then Sophie Turner did a show where she like just tried killing herself every episode. That was basically the plot of that. Okay. <laughs> what? I'm... Again, I can't confirm that they're all real. <sighs> it helps to have a good lineup. Jesus. Uh, Shape of Pasta. It was a show about pasta. It's a sequel to The Shape of Water. Right. 100 mm-hmm. percent spielberg did something for them i think he did i think so what is this what is this streaming service spielberg so after dark yeah I this was a quibby show after dark spielberg <laughs> unrated spielberg <laughs> what that uh, <laughs> horror series directed by steven spielberg he can't do that i don't think it ever got made okay um why are we talking about Quibi? Oh, okay. So movie theaters are dead, right? Is yeah, that what's happening? Essentially, today? yeah. Essentially. And now, uh, yeah, all we're going to get a little mom and pop joints. And that's pretty much it, which I guess I'm okay with. You know, I don't mind. I wish I, we were talking about people are losing jobs. It's probably not a great thing. No. You know, what you going to do? What you going to do, man? Now it's getting depressing. <laughs> I, Let's I, just fucking shut down businesses without paying people. I think that's a great idea. I just I'm I did, not going to get too political. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm just ta- we, were, we were just talking about the ad like the attitude behind Tenet, and I'm just I again like like I said we we knew it wasn't going to work, but I I I I'm just I was just astounded by the fact that they they honestly believed in this thing. Yeah. Okay. I think the optimism for Tenet was a little overstated by people on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like I, maybe Christopher Nolan was saying we're going to save cinemas with this movie, but I don't think anyone at Warner brothers thought that they would save cinemas. I don't know. I think part of it was just, they had sunk a lot of money into the advertising budget and they didn't want to lose that. And they also saw, I don't want to be too cynical, but an opportunity to exploit a market that was pretty stagnant for seven months. Yep. So they jumped in thinking, all right, rather than getting our ass kicked by the James Bond movie next July, let's just put it out this July and pick up all the scraps because I'm sure part of it too was that tenant wasn't that good. And Warner brothers knew that tenant was one of the lesser Christopher Nolan projects. I think even you would agree with that. Oh yeah. And you even said in the text that it was uh, one of the lesser accessible Nolan movies. And I guess that's fair. I think it's pretty true. Yeah. But I, I, I think just in general, like this was, this was sort of a cynical cash grab to, you know, try to recoup some inevitable losses. And I also think the move today by Warner brothers, maybe it would not have happened as radically and quickly as it did, yeah. but oh, the fire alarm again, the house is burning down, but everything's fine. As the meme once said, no. We'll keep going, but uh, we're gonna keep going. Yeah, let's just go through it. Why not? It's 2020, man. 
you know, just soldier on as the house burns down. I don't think, I don't think the listening. Okay. There we go. (laughs) What were you saying? No, I I just, uh, I I don't think this move necessarily would have happened as quickly and as radically as it did, but it was going to happen eventually in a way. Yeah. I mean, no, certainly. I, I, I'm impressed that it made as much as it did. I mean, 320 some million. That's not nobody. That's a lot of people going to see your movie given the circumstances. People are still seeing it around the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 a you know, that's still a lot of money. It's, yeah. I, I mean, again, it's not like Star Wars numbers, but that's a shit ton of money. Yeah. Um, but even still though, I, 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 I still, it's come- more money than Wonder Woman's going to make on Christmas to that, be clear. Right. Yeah. That might be true. Considering yeah. that zero people are seeing it in theaters and everyone's seeing it on HBO for free. I just think it's, it's interesting. Like if you, if you swip, switch the circumstances, like, like I still go to like that star Wars analogy. Like if it was the for, the force awakens episode seven coming out, I actually don't think COVID would have killed that, that level of movie. It would not have been the highest grossing movie of all time. No, I, I agree with that, but it would have been a success. Yeah, I think it would have been. Come yeah, on. it's the okay. I, this entire definition, though, of success is also in flux. Yeah, I know. because within the next year, you are no longer going to use box office numbers <laughs> as the metric <laughs> for whether or not a movie is a success. Yeah, I know, and that's insane. I mean, someone in a boardroom somewhere will have that data, and they're not going to tell us. They're going to say, "Oh yeah, Wonder Woman, big success," but they're not going to tell us how many eyeballs watched it. How do you, you know? How do you figure that out? Is it just through they figure out like streaming services or, or downloads or physical media and all that other shit? No, That's HBO it? will know exactly <laughs> how many people watched Wonder Woman. Okay. We will not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think this idea of success is now in flux. Okay. It's not necessarily about how many people watch it. No. It's about how many subscribers do you bring to the platform. Mm. It's about can you prove a steady increase year to year so your shareholders don't lose faith in you. Okay. You know, it's now becoming a lot more complicated. So I, I don't think we can talk about it just in terms of box office anymore. No, well, certainly not just because there really is no more And here's box the other office. thing. Here's the other thing. It was going that way anyway. The Irishman was on Netflix last year before we knew what COVID was. I mean, the the, the thing is, the difference between what what it was like before COVID versus what it's like, you know, now. I mean, we we talked about that a lot where it was like the the theaters are slowly dying. Um, I, I honestly think it would have taken years before anything really significant happened this really like illustrated the difference between what it was then i mean i looking at it now i'm like theaters were very much alive before march they honestly were sure it was going to take a very long time before they were like legitimately killed and honestly netflix would have had to have done something pretty radical to get there I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, maybe. I mean, I don't know. What does a bucket of popcorn go for these days? Last time know. you checked, what seven bucks, eight bucks? I don't care. I mean, no, I but that—that's evidence, though, that the margins are getting thinner and thinner for these these movie theaters. And mm-hmm. now you go to an AMC, it's thirteen dollars, fourteen dollars for a ticket. Never mm-hmm. mind the Dolby Vision. Yeah, I know screens <laughs> well, that are like nineteen and twenty. Yeah, so now, <laughs> no, my my only well, it was like that before the pandemic. I think there were signs it i i made the metaphor on the other podcast it's like in jurassic park when you see the the glass just slowly vibrating (laughs) you know the signs were there but t-rex is still gonna come and eat you when you're on the shitter man maybe it's happening and i just think like the pandemic just it 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 hit the fast forward button but it it, like it it just skyrocketed it yeah and that's what i'm saying and that's why i'm saying like there's there's no indication that theaters would have been dead even you know five years late i don't think they would have been dead five years from now 
I don't think that would have happened, honestly. I don't think they would have been dead 10 years from now. I honestly believe that this thing, like, in a way illustrated that, okay, theaters really were more alive than you thought. But HBO Max was not a result of the pandemic. HBO Max was in Mm -hmm. the works long before the pandemic was a thing. Sure. And here's the truth. It launched. It did bad. Warner Brothers was not happy. And they threw a Hail Mary. And that Hail Mary now is every single major release for the next year. <laughs> you know, so like, yes, p- part of it is, yes, it's it's the reality of COVID. You're just not going to m- make enough money per ticket to justify putting these things in the theater. But the other part of this is we're chasing Netflix. We're not chasing AMC. We're not chasing Cinemark. We're chasing Netflix mm-hmm. and putting Wonder Woman out and in, in the theaters Putting Tenant out in the theaters is not going to help us beat Netflix. No. <laughs> so this is a lot of Switch this sucks. A lot of this is post COVID stuff, yeah. but I would say at least 40 to 50% of this move are pre COVID considerations. Sure. And it's technology as much as logistics. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. That's that. It's very complicated. I'm sorry that you won't be able to see Dune in a movie theater. I mean, they'll probably still be open. I don't know. I don't think I am. You don't think no. anything? No, no. Nothing will be open. I'm glad to go see Dune the same way we went and saw um, a Mank. I'll see it on a screen like that. Yeah, sure. I don't have any issue with that. Maybe it's we'll a, have to drive 45 minutes. To, I, don't, I don't give a shit. To see Dune. Yeah, yeah that's, that's fine. fine. That's fine. Yeah. When is that? Is it still getting released the same time next year? Is that the plan? It's the plan. The plan is the schedule remains the same and it's just going to be available on hbo for 30 days my question is like how are movies going to get made now well that's the other thing too like like Like, what does this say about marvel because now you no longer have to fill the biggest screen and you no longer have to use the most cgi because the difference between a big screen experience and a small screen experience is gone it's just all small screen yeah that's gonna be tough right and also are people like itching to see captain marvel 2 at home or are they more itching to see the Mandalorian? What is this? You know, is this going to be a good thing for the limited series? Are you going to see more Hawkeye uh, miniseries? Are you going to see more? Uh, what, what's what's the new one? WandaVision? Oh, God. Like, man. is that what I now blockbusters look like? I don't know. Probably. I'm, I got to be honest. I I may. I'm I guess I will only see Wonder Woman if you force me to watch it. Yeah. I don't have any interest in watching Wonder Woman. But you might have if it was the only thing playing in the theater. Right? Uh, I don't know. know. What's a better example? Uh, Black Widow. You would see Black Widow if it was in the theater, no? No. Okay, maybe that's it. I have less (laughs) chance seeing Black Widow, actually, now that I think about it. (laughs) Fair enough. But I think that is the case with a lot of people. It's like, dinner and a movie, what's playing? Oh, I know who that actress is. People are going to be so stupid when talking about movies now. Here's the thing, though. Like, if Netflix is the only show in town... (laughs) They're making Mank. Yeah. Can't be that bad, right? Like, our future overlords can't be that cruel to us. I guess. You got to look at the context and how you're watching the movie, though. Yeah. I mean, it's, we saw it in a theater, you know? I got to be honest, man. I didn't want to see Irishman on my television screen, and, like, I've kind of forgotten about the Irishman. That's true. That's a good point. I hate to say it. It's a, yeah. it's a very good movie, but, like, yeah, my experience with it was kind of... It, it could have been better. That's sure. all I'm saying. It could have been better. So. It's sad. It is sad. It's very sad. Um, that, that being said, mm. to transition here, I have seen a couple good movies on the small screen lately. Oh, great. Older movies. Great. But they were movies nonetheless Talk that to I me. enjoyed deeply. Good segue. Huh, I watched Dogtooth. <laughs> Yorgos. Yorgos. <laughs> 
fucking Lanthimos. Yeah. I don't know what the flying fuck that movie was, man. Holy mother of God. What a weird movie. Do I have to say it? Yes. Okay. Uh, you'll be horribly bored by it, but... Uh, I'll be bored by it? Yeah, I think so. It's it's quiet as hell, and it's slow as hell, and nothing happens. Um, Until it, the end, I've heard, where a lot happens. No. I thought I knew the premise of this movie. No, I, I would say very little happens throughout the entirety of the movie. It's just the characters are so... Just, just so weird... They're so fucking weird. Uh, and I, I can't really, I don't want to say anything because as soon as I describe anything about them, I spoil like a lot of the ideas of the movie. But like, mm. what the, what kind of a weird imagine? The guy is, has got a, a sick imagination. That's all I'll say. Certainly does. So this is a movie about like uh, a father that locks his children away, right? And doesn't like let them see the outside world. Father and mother. Okay, got it. And uh, some shit goes down sexually. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And shit goes down in terms of violence, right? It's very sporadic and it it's 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 always like a underlying moment when mm. it happens. There's not a ton of violence, but every time it does, it's you you just you jump back in your seat. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this is one I've been hearing about for a while. That's sort of the movie that put Yorgos on the map yeah. and since then he's gotten the lobster and killing of sacred deer and the favorite obviously was his most accessible, right, yeah. of yes. all of his films. It's been one I've been meaning to get to for a while. It was in it was a Greek movie, right? It's oh, the, yeah. it's in the Greek language. Yeah, yeah, entirely. Okay. Maybe I'll do it. Uh, yeah, not for everybody. It's not even my my favorite Yorgos film, but you watch it and like it's is is bizarre as the movie is. You laugh a lot. <laughs> sure. No, that's always the case <laughs> you, with Yorgos. Yeah. You, you laugh a lot and you're confused, but you kind of like that you're confused sometimes. And hmm. I, I, I've never seen anything like this and I never will ever again. So that's cool. What else did you see? I saw a catfish. Oh, yeah. Which is a pretty cool uh, little doc. You know, it was fun. Little again, very weird. And <laughs> when did that movie come out? 2010. Man, I saw it when it came out. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I, Abby and I were watching Dancing with the Stars and Neve was on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, sure. Yeah. And he did actually incredibly well. He was the one of the finalists. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, you know, let's watch Catfish. That guy fucking irritates me, though. Oh, I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, I mean, <laughs> Neve Shulman, is that his name? He, he irritates me more in the movie than he does in Dancing with the Stars. But okay. um, yeah, in the movie, it's like this guy's kind of a douche. But, yeah. 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 He's grown up a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was that was wacky. <laughs> Isn't it kind of weird, like, when something becomes a cultural institution for reasons that you're not entirely sure? Like, I'm sure, like, you heard the phrase catfishing before you knew what Catfish the documentary was, right? Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of weird to go back and think, like, this was the impotence of that. I guess, like, but the thing is, like, I was expecting something, uh, I don't know, far more disturbing. Yeah. I, I it, it's, it is very strange, but it's not like, I, I don't know. That, like a lot of people built it up to me as if it was going to be like a shocker. It really wasn't at all to yeah. me. Like the even the reveal for who the person was, I was like, yeah, right, yeah. Well, now you again though, like you've heard all of these stories about celebrities getting captured. Yeah. Remember the Manti Teo story? Yeah, actually. Remember the the, <laughs> the player for the University of Miami, <laughs> I do remember that, that. <laughs> which was an insane story that was maybe two or three years after the documentary. Mm -hmm. But like, I kind of want to see that documentary because that that reveal was even weirder, right? right? Yeah, it's like, oh my god! How yes, that... he had been talking to a man yeah. over the phone, and I guess he got 
he posing as a woman claimed to be sick and he sent her all this money. And it was, it was a huge story because he was being drafted into the NFL around that same time. So it really lined up with the NFL draft and it was like the craziest sports story for like four months. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's almost like, come on, you talk to a guy that, posed as a woman online come on (laughs) you can do worse than that who hasn't my mom just did that like three weeks ago i'm just i'm kidding with you from our perspective like there is sort of a a humor to it but i don't know i guess when you emotionally involve yourself with a person that's not the way you're expecting yeah it could be crushing no i'm sure but my only point is that we've been presented with so many more radical stories since then exactly and it's like you know it's like seeing these special effects in 2001 for the first time it's like bro i just saw better shit in the in the ant-man movie it was good though like the thing is like it, it didn't necessarily like like it wasn't quite what I was expecting, but not necessarily in a bad way. Yeah. So when I was finished with it, I was like, there's something really touching about the story at the end of the day. And I loved the catfish analogy and I never thought I, I was like, Oh, that's where it comes from. That's right. kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And I kind of love the relationship between Neve and the woman and what that ultimately is. It's, it's, it's a fucking crazy story, but it's kind of sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I got to rewatch that doc. I, I hated the MTV show. That was part of it. I just thought the MTV show was trash. Yeah. I didn't watch it. Um, yeah, I think you can end the whole catfish okay. journey right there. All right. Well, that's enough. So be it. Uh, and then I saw one more movie. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. This oh. movie, uh, I saw a little film by Peter Greenaway called the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover. Much teased on this program. I would love to talk about it. Uh, would you like to talk about it with me? Yeah. Would you like me to watch it for next week? Sure. Okay. You want um, to save your thoughts and talk about it next week? Yeah, sure. It's man. I love it when a movie stumps me. Okay. <laughs> it's just like it, when Ari Aster was talking about it and like his influences for hereditary, he describes like the artifice of the movie being disturbing. And I had no idea what that like really meant until I watched the movie and there's just, explain what that means there's such an artificiality to everything in the movie it's so staged and it's, it's so like constructed and and o- almost overly directed it's it i when in my review i described it as suspiria meets solo oh um, wow okay and um yeah the, it the, that's i guess the best way i can i can put it for now and it's you're just placed into this world and everything about it just feels off and wrong and it's lynchian maybe no not even okay it's just it's a very matter of fact like here is the world and all of its popping color and crazy performances michael gambon holy shit he's unbelievable in the movie but he's a fucking monster wow my god my god it's 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 an incredible performance I, i i loved him and i I, I I was trying to view him as Dumbledore the entire time, and I couldn't get there, which is saying something, because <laughs> before that's pretty much all I do him as. Right. Uh, wow, man, what just a it's it's just chilling and completely bizarre, and I don't always know why it is. It's just something about the tone and the feeling and the direction and the production design. You're just like this is just a weird nightmare of a movie, and that ending. Do you know what happens at the end? I know nothing about this movie. Oh my god! This, I mean, I, I know that it's it's a favorite of a lot of young film brats. But. <laughs> Could be one of my favorite endings of all time. Okay, like just I, ugh, 
Okay. I, I, I've been told to watch this movie for a while. I don't, I, again, it's another movie. I have no idea how you're going to react to it. You know, okay. if you hated it, I wouldn't, I would get it. If you loved it, I would also get it. All right. I think I loved it. I'll try to watch it for next week. <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, I watch some movies where I don't know if there's any room for controversy or interpretation. Oh, <laughs> oh wonderful. <laughs> uh, I watched Hillbilly Elegy last night. I I watched 10 minutes of the movie and I couldn't I couldn't do it. Man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it did not work. Oh, my. Oh, my. Goodness. <laughs> it was bad. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and it was much worse than people were saying. Yes. Much worse yeah. than people. Okay. Were saying. Here's what I'm bothered by. Okay. So there's been a lot of political chatter yeah. online about how this is a movie that glorifies Trump supporters and like their experience in the middle of the country and how like these are people that don't deserve to to have movies made about them or they do not deserve a platform to espouse their virtues and everything. That's not even that's not true. Okay. But it's just fucking annoying that yes. we can't just talk about it as a movie. Like, yes. I, I just think it's really irritating that this became a political conversation because the movie just sucks. Yes. The movie's just bad. Like there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where the main character who is this kid from Kentucky that ultimately goes to Yale law school is having a conversation with a bunch of other students and uh, potential hirees at law firms. And they talk about how, you know, strange it must be coming from Kentucky and then moving to Connecticut, which is, and the guy goes, you know, my mother is one of the smartest people that I know. And there are smart people that live out in the West. (laughs) It's like, yeah man like people from kentucky are people too yes really break a new ground here no this is what fucking happens when hollywood people are like you know i want to understand what's happening in the middle of the country oh it's let's let's hire ron howard and let's write the most pandering (laughs) Pandering, fucking script like that's the problem with it the problem is not that this is a movie about i don't even know if they're trump they never even voice any support of donald trump in the movie not about them. It's just like you approach this material with just such a superficial Oscar Beatty lens. And it's so annoying, man. It's like you can find more humanity than what you're searching for here. It's like the assumption from, from Hollywood is just like, I, I don't know that, that the, the middle of the country or the South is, is such like a, a an unknown mysterious place it's almost more <laughs> condescending because of that right like a rich person trying to understand the, the struggles of a poor person you yeah. know it, it, or the I, opioid crisis or the heroin crisis or... I, I i can't believe i'm gonna say this it actually reminded me of the party scene in get out okay you now when people are like yeah oh to un- sure right 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 right, like, right. Like, like we we i i just do I, you think being black is advantage or disadvantage exactly yeah, it's yeah. like what what are you talking about and it just makes you more uncomfortable that they're even attempting it right it was the opposite of that yeah it's just the most it in- was liberals trying yeah. to understand like white people with <laughs> heroin problems it's like the most inauthentic bullshit i've ever seen yeah 100 percent. just a, a horrible script and ron howard boy oh boy is he over the hill uh rough rough for our boy ron howard i think glenn close is great in the movie sure i think amy adams is a problem mm-hmm. as she has been over the last few years too this is not a good movie it's one of the worst movies i've seen this oh, year. Wow. <laughs> it's really bad yeah i didn't finish it so good you saved yourself some okay, trouble yeah. uh i also watched the gentleman which isn't much better another guy over the hill guy Ritchie. oh boy i heard it was good though <laughs> i mean like as the third remake of Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking yeah. Barrels, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, he just makes the same movie every that's, time. That's and they got away from that because he decided to make Sherlock movies. All right. And Disney movies. A lot of people were saying it is just another, like, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah, it's Snatch. It's Snatch, yeah. But worse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the... the uh, Hugh Grant's good. Yeah, I hear he's great in the movie. Yeah, so. Hugh Grant's good. I know. Did Nick see it? I don't remember. I think so. I think he saw I think it. he might have, yeah. I think he liked it. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, perfect January movie, I would say. You think so? I think if I saw it in January and my expectations were as low as they were, then I probably would have liked it, but there's a pig fucking scene in this movie. There's a pig fucking scene? Pig fucking scene. Oh. Like a Black Mirror-esque pig fucking scene. Okay. Doesn't work, man. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Lots of uses of the word cunt. Very liberally used. Even by, like, the American characters. Oh, but I was going to say, by the English, dude, like, like cunt is used to describe your mother. I get it. But <laughs> Matthew McConaughey is playing an American who uses the word cunt like he's a British person. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Right. It's just Guy Ritchie writing through his characters. And uh, no, I thought it was pretty bad. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry. Maybe I would. I don't know. I, I was curious about it since, ever since it came out. And I think if I didn't like it, you would probably like it less. That, that's my gut. This is these are the type of movies that I generally like, like just middle well, of the road crime movies with good actors in them. I mean, I like a lot of movies. Like I like pretty much every movie I've seen like that, like Snatch and Lock, Stock and Two, Smoking Barrels and Layer Cake, and you know, yeah, really good movies. <laughs> this yeah. one not so much. What are you gonna do? And I also saw the movie of the year called Lovers Rock, which is not a movie, but it's a television show. Oh, it's an episode of a television show. Oh, the Steve McQueen thing. Yeah, Small Axe episode two. This thing's called Lovers Rock. I don't even know how to explain it. I don't even know if it's a movie. Is it eligible for my end of the year list? I guess we'll have to talk about that off air because I, I don't know. Well, I got to see these movies. Yeah. Sort of whatever they are. Uh, it just how, what do I say about this? It, it is um, an incredibly immersive episode of television about uh, a club that plays reggae music and the people that attend it and subsequently fall in love or don't fall in love or hurt each other or do horrible things to each other. And uh, there are just sequences in this episode where characters are on the dance floor for upwards of like seven minutes and just singing a song and dancing. And the camera will just linger on their waistlines. I like that. And uh, it just blew me away. It just absolutely blew me away. Like it is a masterclass in immersive slice of life filmmaking, uh, it's incredibly low concept. I mean, there is very little, if any, plot here. It is just like a time capsule piece about characters um, that are, are wonderfully performed, but are, are nothing more than just attendees of a reggae club. Cool. I I, I just would like you to watch it, but it is uh, it's special. It's a special thing. What Steve McQueen was able to do here. Go McQueen. Yeah. Dude, that, that, that man is like incapable of making a, a poor choice. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I liked the first episode of small acts just fine. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a little dry compared to some of the other stuff that the McQueen has done, but episode two was, yeah. I mean, unbelievable. Great. It's, it is the best thing I have seen this year. If it's a movie, I don't know, but is it the best Steve McQueen film you've seen? I have still, you know, I have my pick for best Steve McQueen. Film. I mean, Widows is, come on, <laughs> obvi. It's not obvious. I fucking love Widows, bro. Steve McQueen, that's my, th- uh, I don't know where that ranks for me, because Shame is by far my favorite, and it's not even close. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I did, <laughs> I'm like, oh, Widows might be actually number four for me. 
Wow. I actually like hunger a little bit more than, wow. than widows. But you, I, you upset me. I also under, widows is great, but it's great. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not discounting widows, but I do understand why you would prefer something. Like, I, I understand why you would prefer widows over something like hunger. Cause hunger is not an enjoyable experience at all. So you know what lovers rock urged me to do for some reason. Yeah. I had this unshakable urge to just go to the club, which I never have. <laughs> I hate going out, but like I go out maybe 10 times a year at the most. And that's like on a good year. That's when I'm feeling like uber social. I'll go out like once every three weeks. Clubs are rough though, man. I fucking hate it. I hate going out. I hate going to crowded bars. Like just give me a brewery and then I'm in bed by 10 that I would much rather prefer that. Uh, But like every once in a while, I'll just have the urge to like go out and I watch this thing and just, you know, looking at a sweaty DJ and a very long line to the bathroom. (laughs) And it's like, oh my goodness. I really miss that. I miss that experience as sparing as it is in my life people forget that the imperfections of stuff like that are part of what made it enjoyable yeah we complain about it when it's happening but like i do miss standing in line at a club sometimes sure you with know. music blaring in your ear i do yeah i give me give me the obnoxious fucking music give, give me a spilled drink on my lap i don't care there's a scene in this <laughs> in this movie where kung fu fighting just it starts playing okay and all of the characters just in an act of jubilation just start doing kung fu moves <laughs> and like that's the shit it's like three in the morning and you've had one too many and ymca fucking plays and everybody in this club at once is just on the same page like we're gonna act like lunatics and it's gonna be totally okay, okay. we're just gonna dance to kung fu fighting and there's nothing better than that mm. oh it's very it sounds very freeing yeah, it's, it's really an incredible movie. I don't even know how to explain it because nothing happens in the movie. That's okay. They just go to a club for an hour and a half and I'm like crying at the end of it. It's amazing. Sounds like my experience with Stop Making Sense. We're just in, that infectious yeah, quality it, that yeah, just makes you want to get up and dance. Yeah, it's just spectacular. Lovers in Do Rock. Indeed Do Rock, uh, as the title says. It's called Lovers Indeed Do Rock? No, Lovers Rock. Oh, just Lovers I'm Rock. Telling you that lovers <laughs> do indeed rock. That'd be a very weird name. Steve, uh, I love you, but what the hell is that name? Uh, all right. Make time. Mm. We have been in the desert for far too long. Yes. We are parched. Very much so. Uber parched. We need water. And we got it. Yes, we did. Our boy Fincher. My ex. Your ex? My ex. Why is Fincher your ex? Because I left him for Denis. Oh, right. I left him for Denis. I had to. I may swoop in there. Oh, you want to? You're going to take? Ooh. I may may call him. Hey, buddy, can I give him a call? Can you give him a call? (laughs) What is this? Curb your enthusiasm? Can I take Fincher out for some drinks? (laughs) Just one one night. He wouldn't go for you. One drink. He would not go for you. I may swoop in. Is this the... (laughs) Is this the, the Ted Turner moment? <laughs> <laughs> so, David, what do you you think we can? Uh, oh, uh, sorry, Nico. Sorry, I can't do did it. Did you call Ted Danson Ted Turner? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I knew that after I said it. <laughs> Shit. Whatever. I'm swooping in there. I'm taking your ex oh, for myself. We saw Mank in a movie theater yeah, this we weekend. Did. Yeah, we Thank did. God we saw it in a movie theater. I know it's going to be available in like four hours. Yep. But it's all right. I'll watch it again. This is a theater experience, okay, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. See this in a theater, for the love of God. I'm so happy I saw it in a theater. Oh, me too. You know? Me too. Oh, it was great. I'm really happy about it. Um, all right. There's a lot to talk about here, because yeah. it's a very meaty movie. Dense. Dense. Dense as hell. Dense as hell. And it's going to have a pretty long tail, I think, because there are no other Oscar contenders, at least not yet. 
what are they going to do about that? Like, what is it? Like, seriously. I, I don't know. I guess this and Nomadland, and that's basically it. It's going to be a two-horse race. I don't see anything else stepping in there. Nomadland's funny. I've heard a lot of critics love it, but people who actually see the movie can't stand it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that'll be fun. Then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. And this one, by the way, has had similar reactions. I think, uh, I don't know. I think there, there's an element of this where critics are, are afraid to hate it just because it's a Fincher thing and it's very sparse out there. And yeah. like, you know, the one Oscar movie that we're given, we have to make it count. Um, but there's also, I think, a lot of people online, particularly Orson Welles defenders. Yeah that have uh, have railed against the revisionist history of this movie. It's not even doing that. Though. And I'm really I'm really interested to talk about that cuz I I uh I did a lot of research oh, in the you last did? few days. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I um well, we'll get to it. First of all, what do you think of the movie? It's awesome. This movie fucking rules. <laughs> Yo, my boy is back. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, this movie's so good. Yeah. Oh, I, I, it's like, you know, it, it's one of those moments like, oh, Fincher, I missed you. Yeah. I missed you, buddy. Where have you been? Uh, this is, uh, for me, p- quite possibly his best film since Social Network. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I mean, I, I do love the, the, the films he made in between, but this is this is something else mm. it's like again un- and part of the reason for that is that it's unlike any fincher film i've ever seen in my fucking life definitely like because you, you could the only other thing you might compare it to i guess is the social network honestly mm. but like even like i guess just because of the dialogue but the aesthetic in this movie and and the choices and how it pays homage to uh, orson wells but also just the the type of dialogue that's being written here is just so unique and so so lively it's just it's a, i was when we when we were watching it, I was like, this is a spicy movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. There's. I'm not sure everyone would think that, but for us, it was definitely oh, spicy. Oh, no. This is, a, this is like every flavor. It just mixed together perfectly on top of one another. Yeah. It's just, it is, man, I, 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 I was like rejuvenated watching this movie. I really love the movie. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, the the weird thing is this is your guy, but it's kind of like right up my alley. In it terms is. Of yep. movies. Like this is exactly the type of movie I want out of Oscar season. Stylish, but also with a lot of ideas and mm-hmm. a dense script and snappy dialogue and film history. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure you would love this movie if you're not a fucking loser like you and I, but guilty as charged, man. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. We could... I, this is what I keep saying. If you're going to do – and it's a complicated story. It's yeah. a super complicated narrative. Um, and at times, you, you I, I could see some people being a little lost. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't particularly lost at all. Well, you weren't lost because you know the story, right? I guess. But like the, the, the saving grace of this movie is that you have a wonderful character to carry you through it. Yeah. You know, in, you know, in the form of Herman Mankiewicz who – I mean, Jesus Christ, I love this character. Oh, my God. I love – this is one of my, <laughs> my – this is one of the best characters I've ever seen in a Fincher film, period. Yeah. It's like, it's like Tyler Durden in this and sure. that's it it's great yeah we we saw this movie with your girlfriend um at this little mom and pop theater about a half hour away from here and at the end of the movie like it was so funny the two of us walked out she went to use the bathroom and i and i said to you like give me the three hour cut you yes know? give me another hour like there's so much in here i could have taken the mini series i could have as much as you have to give me give me more of this story uh because they sort of 
the Orson Welles stuff was sort of tacked onto the end of it. Sort of, yeah. And so Abby, as we're going into the car, I go, Abby, what'd you think of it? She goes, could have been shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Could have shaped off like a half hour there. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's the best. Let's go more into the heart of darkness. Like, you know, the failed shoot in South America. I agree. I, you know, it's such a, tell me what Orson Welles Colonel Kurtz would have looked like. Dude, she didn't even need to say it. I knew she was going to say that. Right. 100%. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's too funny. That's exactly what you would say. Um, but I, no, so, like I can see a lot of people sort of getting lost, and like even in the car, I, I had to sort of explain to her this was who Marion Davies was. Mm-hmm. The movie implies some of this, and you know, all of the pieces are there, but none of it is explicitly laid out for you, which I love. Me too. But if you don't know who William F. Randolph Hearst is, this movie just goes right over your head. You just you you can't make any sense of it if you don't know who William Randolph Hearst is and what his impact was on this movie and the industry at large. Well, you won't have the same effect that we had when watching it, but I I still believe you can you, you certainly get the impression of this man's power over everyone in the movie. I mean, everyone at the movie is sort of at the service of him, and That's they definitely true. they definitely do a wonderful job at illustrating that stuff. Yes, I mean that man, especially the last time you see him when he's carrying Herman out of the mansion, he feels like Dracula or something like a hundred percent. Yeah, it's a really well really well defined illustration of that character and his power over everybody so that monologue about him yeah. playing the or the the guy on the side street side of the street playing uh what was it it was a or he had some like trick with yeah, a monkey frog. a monkey right yeah, yeah. And the monkey played the accordion or whatever mm-hmm. yeah that's just amazing stuff charles dance by the way and i said it when we were walking out did fincher i love it when you go back to alien three <laughs> <laughs> to alien three actors it just makes it just makes me happy to know that he didn't he didn't <laughs> He had something that that he took away from it that was positive. He took away Holt McElhaney and from Mindhunter, which is great. Yeah, and Charles Dance because I because I, I I always knew that like they got along very well on the set of Alien Three. So I'm like, you know, put him in one of your movies, please. Sure, it'd be great. And and if, I saw an interview with him uh, uh, recently. And Charles Dance was talking about like I think this man's a genius. I'm, I'm a I'm a big big fan of him. I've I wanted I wanted to work with him on every project, even when I'm doing you know twenty five to thirty takes. Right. I don't I don't care. I'm just grateful to be there. You know, a lot of people on this movie said a similar thing. Amanda Seyfried did an interview in the Times last week, and uh, you know she was pretty candid about how. Hollywood has not really taken her seriously over the last decade or two. Like Mamma Mia and Mean Girls sort of pigeonholed her into a very specific type of role that uh, I don't think she was particularly happy with. She did first reformed with Ethan Hawke last year, and she's very good in that movie. But she's been making a very conscious effort to push back and... I don't even think get her Oscar, but at least be taken more seriously. I like that she's not pushing back the way that like Miley Cyrus did or anything like that. She's just saying like, no, can I just do a real movie? Right. It's not like I need to get naked now <laughs> or anything. Sure. Like that. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right, right. Um, but she said in the Times interview, like I was so it was such a freeing experience when Fincher let me do 40, 50 takes. Yeah. Like she was just like, finally I'm able to sink into a character in a way that I had not been able to do before and erase a lot of that earnestness that Fincher always talks about. He, this is what he always says in defense of the 40 to 50 take thing is that I hate it when an actor is too sincere. I hate it when an actor, because that is the instinct of any actor because they're theater kids is to come on and give you the biggest and broadest and most, you know, the a, it, the performance is so sincere that it no longer becomes sincere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
I think Amanda Seyfried definitely did that in Mamma Mia, definitely did that in Mean Girls, certainly did that in Jennifer's Body. Uh, and this is one of the first performances of hers where I'm like, oh, yeah, she is settling into a rhythm yeah. here. And she's just underplaying it enough. Although the character is often larger than life, it's a very subtle performance. And she steals every fucking scene in this movie. She's really good. I agree. Yeah. And it's, it was sort of a surprise for me. Watching it, like I, I've always like I've, I've always thought that Amanda Seyfried was fine, you know. Yeah. Her 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 best her best movie is still Mamma Mia, and Mamma Mia is a better film than Mank. Uh, so <laughs> let, let's let's not go there. That's true. But um, <laughs> but uh, I I was actually surprised by her range more than anything. And it's always funny when you see that in in a Fincher film because, like you said, he's always trying to get past this the sincerity thing. And what he, I love what he says. He's like, I I I know you've won the Oscar in the tub. Uh, right. let, let's go. Let's go past what you've already preconceived in your head i want to go past muscle memory i want you to know exactly how to sit in that chair as if you've done it a thousand times sure you 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 because like you like she said you sink into that character but it's always funny to see the people come out and like behave as as real as people could be in his movies like there is such it's weird fincher says he hates sincerity but he directs them in a way that's more sincere than most performances usually are sure so, so yeah, it's not it's not so much sincerity, it's earnestness. Yeah. Right. It's just like you're laying it on too thick because you're an actor and that's yeah, what actors do. Exactly. Right. And you can imagine what this movie would have been like if Amanda Seyfried was given the direction that she was given by whoever directed, you know, Mean Girls. Sure. Which would be a crazy movie. Could you imagine if this was directed? Fincher <laughs> directing Mean Girls. <laughs> I'm in. Look, Fincher's a big Mean Girls fan. He actually uh, talked he? about in the interview with the Times too, just being like, "Yeah, she's an excellent comedic actress. Mm-hmm. She has great timing, yep. and he never understood why she wasn't given more shots at dramatic work." Um, yeah, she was very upfront about it. Like she's like one of the Emma Stone types who like they yeah, just get comedy. Comedy's in their bones, and comedy's not that far from drama. And I think this role played to a lot of her strengths. I think the the movie just plays to basically everyone's strengths. I think Gary Oldman is unbelievable in this. Uh, and it makes me so mad they gave him the Oscar for that Churchill movie because this would be such a cooler choice. I, I, again, like if we were talking about this in the car. I, I, I don't think his Churchill performance is bad at all. I think it's fine. It's, yeah, no, it's a good performance. It's a yeah. good performance. But like, there is like this character is 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 defined in a way that like you just don't see ever, and it's so so thick. Certainly and not so, anymore. No, 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 no. I, I, I just think like the script gives him. It, it, all of its all of its time and energy. The, 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 I've never seen a script so committed to a character. All the good lines. Holy shit! Just like, emptying the chamber. Yeah, it is unbelievable. But, he, but even like a, a Amanda Seyfried's character, like like there's not as many scenes with her as you would think. But like you said, every time she's on screen, she's she shines, and in a way that I, I thought was just incredibly surprising. Particularly when they're walking around the estate. Yeah, I just like oh she can go there. That's 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 pretty fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> the movie is very smart about it. It puts all the way on. Oldman shoulders yep. and it is a it is a shoulder that can certainly handle that weight but mm-hmm. it also really picks its spots with the supporting cast yes yes the yes. Orson Welles thing in particular which we'll talk about in a bit uh, we'll get to that because I have so many thoughts on that performance but, but Tom Burke is unbelievable oh, in this movie yes he's <laughs> he's unbelievable and using him as the secret weapon rather than the big bad I think is such an effective way of telling the story a more effective way than a more traditional script i would say mm-hmm. uh you know what let's get to it now let's talk about this okay now. uh because i don't think either of us expected the movie to be about exactly what it's about it's about mank right <laughs> and that really confused me because i had been told that this is based on the pauline kill essay raising Cain, that david fincher in film school 
brought his father, Jack Fincher, who at the time was a journalist, this story written by Pauline Kael in 1971 or 1972, I think. And uh, he's like, there is so much in here. Like, write a screenplay about this. So Jack Fincher, over many years, writes this screenplay. I think it was up to 12 drafts Mm. when Jack ultimately passed away in 2003. The movie had sat on the shelf for many years. It was in Fincher's drawer. This was the passion project. He had so desperately tried getting made. I think Kevin Spacey at one point was lined up as the star. He was going to make it after, was it seven? I forget now. He was going to make it early on, either late 90s, early 2000s. Um, And so I I think everyone thought, who had read Raising Cain, that this was going to be about a feud between Orson and Mank about who deserves credit for this script. And it, it was sort of going to be like a, a a character study about fragile masculine egos and this absurd practice of Hollywood screen credit. And I think it was going to be a lot more cynical and bitter in that original draft as well. No. Well, the, it's funny because Fincher has talked about how – I mean he grew up on Citizen Kane and it's one of his favorite movies. But when he fir- – I think when he read the first draft of the script, he was like appalled by it uh-huh. because he, he had been – because Citizen Kane, he, it was, he had grown up as if it was like his Bible. Right. And his dad just like tore it to shreds essentially with this story in his script. And he was just mortified that like everything I was raised on is being you know killed in this story here. Well, as Pauline Kael did. Yeah, even though that's like widely disputed. But We'll, we'll talk about that. But yeah. Go ahead. But you – but – it's very obvious, like, okay, over time, he sort of reconciled with what was probably going on in the Pauline Kale story, but also what was more important in a story like this. And to our surprise, wisely, yeah, it's so very, very little about Orson Welles at all, actually. And it's just, it, I, I, from, I don't know, for me, it's, it's just a, a, an interesting exploration into old Hollywood through Mank. And it's sincere love letter, I think, to this character. Yes. Which is the other thing. Here's my theory. So I talked about this at the end of the decade when we were doing the uh, the, the rankings of the best movies and Social Network came up and we mm-hmm. spent a lot of time talking about that script and this idea that Fincher does his best work when the writer is almost working in stark opposition to Fincher's goals. Okay, yeah, his um, his his uh, his you know directorial tendencies, I guess. Yes, the yin to his yang. Uh-huh. Sorkin in Social Network, I think, served as the yin to his yang, right? Like. Sorkin is a very um, is a very idealistic, optimistic, grass is greener screenwriter who has very specific political views, and he articulates those political views in his movies. And he knows how to write a, a, a snappy scene of dialogue, but sometimes he sort of uh, goes a little too far with the, the sweeping monologues about the nature of man. And we saw it this year. Definitely did. Fincher's a lot more bitter. He's a lot more precise. He's, uh, you know, he, he tends to revel in the, the darker side of humanity and his characters thusly are, are, uh, are, are sometimes not the greatest people. He certainly treat like, he certainly treats humanity with, with a very, uh, a cynical sense of humor. He see, he sees a lot of like what we are as a joke a lot of the time. Right. So social network is this great miracle. It's this movie that is written by a guy who wrote the West wing, but directed by a guy that wrote seven or, or the guy that directed seven. Um, and I, I feel similar about this movie. Let's think about it this way, right? The Pauline kale essay and in which the script is based on, by the way, I read it. You did two nights ago. Oh, boy. Very long. 50,000 words. Oh boy. 
incredibly entertaining, but also a, a bad piece of journalism. But that's whatever. <laughs> Pauline Kael essay is very much an extension of a, of a theory of a school of thought that Pauline Kael had argued for for several decades, which is the auteur theory, the idea of the auteur theory, right? Um, you know, she she wrote uh, uh, um, a, another essay called Circles and Squares, which is another critical essay about how movies are ultimately a collaborative medium and this idea that you can put the entire artistic achievement of citizen Kane on one person's shoulders is ridiculous. And like, it is, it is certainly more collaborative and, and a more holistic experience than, than what some auteurs will say. I, I've always felt like the, 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 the raising cane from what I've, what I've understood about it for me, it was always like my example for either Pauline Kael's maybe a little misguided or she was just a constant troll well, she was definitely a troll. Yeah, I know no, that. No doubt about it. She was a provocateur. Let's yes. say that. Mm-hmm. That's the word you would have used then. But anyway, so this guy, Andrew Saris, who's a big critic at the time, uh, he's sort of the person that popularized the auteur theory stateside. She has, cons- or when she was alive, consistently rejected Andrew Saris's work. And this essay, Raising Cain, is sort of an extension of that. It is partly... A work of journalism, um, uh, you know, Pauline Kael was at the time very close with um, with uh, John Hausman, who was Manx's second in command. The guy in the movie he's actually portrayed in the movie mm-hmm. as the guy bringing him the booze and like keeping him on schedule. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So at the time she was in close contact with John Hausman and Hausman was talking about how. Yeah, Orson Welles was going to screw Mank out of credit and it was all his idea and Orson Welles didn't write a word of it, yada, yada, yada. And uh, and so Pauline Kael just ran with that story. Oh. Didn't talk to Orson Welles, didn't talk to any of the producers involved. In fact, many of the claims that Hausman made were totally contradicted by like evidence presented in mm. court. Like Orson Welles has the notes that he gave to Mank and the drafts ah. of the script that he wrote himself while he was in, uh, I think he was in South America and Mank was in Los Angeles. So like the, the, the receipts actually do exist. And okay. the essay was, is just widely considered to be a, a complete farce of journalism. Okay. Cause I, that's what I was curious about. I was like, there has to be evidence that points to the, the fact that Orson Welles was doing some writing on this thing. Really? So Pauline so, Kale goes overboard and she yeah, yeah, says, yeah. actually it was all Mank. Orson Welles did yeah. not write a word of this script. Yeah. And that's not true. It's not true, but the essence of the essay is true. Yeah. And I know Pauline Kill also says in the essay, like, it's sort of a, a minor masterpiece, Citizen Kane. She said it's kind of like a shallow masterpiece. And she uh. says things that Pauline Kill often says. But she is right in that, yeah, movies are collaborative. And she specifically calls out Orson Welles, who at one point says, theater is a collective experience. Cinema <laughs> is the work of a single person. Fucking jerk off motion. Right, Orson Welles? You know what I mean? <laughs> And I think what the initial draft that Jack Fincher wrote, the, the, the whole point of that is not to necessarily quibble about who deserves credit for writing Citizen Kane. It's about philosophically that art is a collective medium, that no art can be created in isolation, that, you know, there are always outside influences that deserve credit for the work that you do. And yeah. Cinema is certainly the greatest example of a collaborative art form. And it's a love letter to writers. Who yeah. Jack Fincher himself was a writer. Mm-hmm. And then you have David Fincher, who's never written a screenplay before, 
who is the directoriest of directors. Yes. <laughs> he does the most directing of anyone. <laughs> and he's been given this material by his father, who he loves very much and respects very much and cares about very much. And this essay says, you know what, son? Your fucking profession is full of shit. <laughs> and you're full of shit. And do something about it. And you have this unbelievable tension yep. that results in this movie, similar to what you saw on Social Network, mm -hmm. which is a movie calling out Orson Welles and sort of slyly, subtextually calling out David Fincher. I don't think it's a coincidence that Tom Burke has a goatee at the end of this movie. I don't think it's a coincidence that this portrayal of Orson Welles looks a lot like David Fincher himself. Did you pick up on that? Looks a lot like him. Maybe. And I do think that there's something there. And it's it's one of the reasons why I adore this movie so much. The script is sort of at opposition for everything that David Fincher believes about auteurism. Sure. Yeah. And the result is this fascinating end product that is both a love letter to writers, but also a very cynical look at the character of Meg. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting point, too. Yeah. 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 I don't know. <laughs> you buy that? The auteur that one took me about three hours. Oh, good for you. I've been scribbling away at a notepad. Oh, I'm glad. Banging gl out this theory. <laughs> yeah, I, I never come in prepared like that, which is good. <laughs> a, a lot. Of, it's funny, like when you tackle it from that perspective, because the auteur theory is something you you you. So when people criticize, they're not understanding the fact that we don't look at that and we take it a hundred percent literally. Mm. It's 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 more of a broad statement, statement, but only so broad. The mm. whole the whole essence of the point is that at the end of the day, the director has the final say, and the, pretty much the vision of the film is his. So that's kind of what they're well, referring also the to. The original idea of auteur theory too was not like this is a person that writes the script no. and shoots it and edits it like Alfonso Cuarón did on Roma or something. Yeah, exactly. It's the script was maybe brought in by the studio and it got a couple rewrites, but within the studio system, someone like Alfred Hitchcock is able to put their stamp on it. Yeah, exactly. You yep. know, it, it's about finding personal identity, not necessarily controlling the process from beginning to end. No, yeah, and that, that's why the, the Pauline Kale arguments were always annoying because it didn't seem like she really understood what uh, Truffaut was talking about when he coined auteur theory. Sure. Like, like precisely what you just said. It's just about how the director puts his stamp on this material and make kind of makes it his own. Mm -hmm. You know, and they do that through various means, like, you know, with the collaboration of the, all, the, all the people who are helping the, him work on the film. It's just at the end of the day, they do their work and uh, I, I guess through his voice. And at the end of the day, they everything, everything that the end product is points directly back to this man. So it, it, yeah. it's, and it's interesting. Sure. It is. I don't think either side really has a firm grasp, though. On, no. On, because here's the thing. Most of the time, the people coining these phrases or writing these think pieces have never made a movie. Well, that's Fucking not true. Lives. That's not true with Pauline truth. Gale never did shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Andrew Saris never did shit. I mean, no, they did stuff and they did important stuff. Yeah. But Truffaut made movies. Yeah, no, hundred so, percent. And Peter Bogdanovich, by oh, yeah. the way, it, when he was still a critic, he was not yet a filmmaker, wrote the response to Pauline Kale's essay. Mm -hmm. Um and that is another dense, long essay, essentially defending Wells, who have, he was a friend of at yeah. the time. Have you read that? I have not. I did not get around to reading that. Okay. Again, I wrote. I read fifty thousand words by Pauline Kael. Nice man. In two nights. Oh, good for you. I, I Rolling Stone. I think it's a Rolling Stone or GQ or Esquire, one of those fucking magazines. Mm -hmm. um, no, has my, the the Bogdanovich essay. But no. Point being, though, 
I one of the things I love about this movie yeah. is it doesn't take a fucking side on that. No, no and it's no, more no. of an afterthought. Well, because I was so worried going into it that it was just going to demonize Wells, because that's what everyone was telling us. That's even what that was even the indication I got from Fincher when he was talking about the early drafts of the script. Mm. And I was actually stunned at at how how it it actually isn't that at all. Yeah, and I'm not even be exaggerating. It is not really indicting Orson Welles. And even when it does kind of paint him as somewhat of a villain, it does so to make a very fine point about the nature of writers and, sure. and the nature of the industry at the time. So I, I do love it just as a love letter to those things. I certainly love it as a love letter to this era and also to the, the, the guy of Mank. Yeah. Um, man, uh, I'm just, I'm trying to think of things wrong with the movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to those. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, I, that's why I also think that Twitter controversy has been kind of ridiculous. Oh my God. I, I, Do you know? Because <laughs> Jabril. Yeah. I, I, I'm calling out Jabril. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Shoot your shot. I don't know what Jabril actually thinks about the idea of Meg, but I remember way, way back. It was, he, he sent me like, like a, a, a post of like one of, one of the guys he follows just complaining about the fact that it's a black and white film shot digitally. I don't fucking care. <laughs> I'm sorry, people. Has that I, been that much of a controversy? I, some people, <laughs> Yes. Okay. <laughs> Film Twitter's weird like that. Who gives a shit? I've, I've seen talk- I've seen a lot more from the Wells heads that are like, yo, <laughs> like Orson was not this evil. No. I mean ugh. I'm sure he was a difficult figure. I wouldn't I wouldn't have ever called him evil, but Okay. The idea though, like I saw actually a great tweet about this mm-hmm. a couple days ago. Like the Irishman literally told a story about a gangster who claimed to kill Jimmy Hoffa, who clearly did not kill Jimmy. Yes. Hoffa. Yeah. And it's just a three hour conspiracy movie essentially. And everybody applauded and it was like, no big deal. It's just artistic expression. Now, if you so much imply <laughs> that Herman Wank Mankiewicz did not receive enough credit for writing citizen Kane, you are engaging in fake news and deception. Mm the wells crowd man come on bro they get mad you know the movie really does treat it as an afterthought and it was very refreshing because yeah i i don't know if i would have been as interested in a movie about like the writer's guild no and but here's the here talking about just just as someone who appreciates films and understand i th- i like to think i understand them well and sometimes makes them himself it's not a documentary. Yeah. It doesn't feel like reality most of the time. It doesn't certainly doesn't look like one. It doesn't flow like that at all. It is it is a fairy tale. Mm. That's what it feels like. The movie is is almost like an ex, a, an artistic expression of this very confusing part in the industry's history. Mm-hmm. Uh and it works as that. And uh, yeah, I wasn't t- I I never I was never watching the movie and taking everything 100% literally. And I never felt like that was the intention of the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, maybe not even the intention of Jack Fincher. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get it. hundred percent. So I, I'm with you. The controversy is fucking annoying. Yeah. Just watch the movie. Yeah. hundred percent. Orson Welles fans can settle the hell down. Like the, the, uh, the spoilers, the opening credits are like a B movie. Yeah. It's the B movie kind of style and text and everything. It's not, it's not taking itself that seriously. Mm. It is, but not to the degree that film Twitter is taking it seriously. <laughs> uh, okay. So let, let's actually talk about how this movie is made because it's basically a remake of Citizen Kane. It's a, <laughs> I knew you were going to say it's that. A low, well, okay. Cause I'm right. That's why you knew I was going to yeah. say it. Cause it's a thought you had too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about this. It's not a remake of Citizen Kane, but uh, in style, in spirit, yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Which makes it an insanely meta text, which again, it's yeah, like, it's, if I, you're not us, how do you enjoy this? Well, you, you, <laughs> Dude, it, it, I, I don't, I really honestly, th- there is plenty to enjoy here. Like, is it just from a character level, just from the, 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 the dense story that's never really that confusing, at least to me? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is a big task to take on something that, like, material that is this weighty, weighty, but tell it in a way that's not convoluted whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I guess in the same way that Citizen Kane does it. Sure. It, it's a pretty grand accomplishment as far as I'm concerned. Can you enjoy this movie having not seen Citizen Kane? Uh,. I mean, Abby liked the movie. Yeah. So. It would definitely help, though, right? Yes. It would help yeah. big time. Yeah, sure. So this is a movie that essentially depicts the characters of Citizen Kane, but the actual inspirations for them, mm-hmm. which is like a crazy thought. It's an insanely meta text for that reason. It's like we are uh, portraying William Randolph Hearst in a negative way um, in a movie about the making of a movie that portrays William Randolph Hearst in a negative way. Yeah. Like we're, we are through two spheres. Like Citizen Kane already bashed William Randolph Hearst enough. Now we're bashing him again for his response to the movie about him. <laughs> like th- there's never been a movie like this before. And That's, like only Citizen Kane can inspire this level of like analysis and, and art about it. There is no other movie that could like sustain this much weight. I guess. Could you make another movie? Like, I guess they made the disaster artist about the room. Oh, you you mean that's like lit- like literally commenting on a film that already got made about? It, it, I mean, this movie in, is is on the coattails of Citizen Kane, right? Like, it oh only, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? You can't make this movie if Citizen Kane doesn't I did, exist. Obviously. Almost everything about it is riding on the coattails of Citizen Kane. Yeah, you know? to the production design, mm-hmm. to how it's shot. I mean, the shot at the beginning where Mank just drops the the beer bottle is the snow globe in citizen Kane. It is the exact same shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the references were just great. The visual references I just adored. Never felt like they were pandering because they always serve the character. It's, yeah. it's not like you get to get, get a scene where it's like Herman Mankiewicz is like sledding. <laughs> <laughs> it starts out would have been great. Oh my God. That would have been so funny. <laughs> Oldman in a sled would have been fantastic. <laughs> David, why didn't you literally include Rosebud? <laughs> <laughs> I love Fincher just a little aside and how much I love David Fincher and just his honesty with what movies are. Mm. He was once petitioned to get a, a Spider-Man and he was like, at first, you know, I, I really appreciated it. You know, it's about like a coming of age story with someone, you know, physically changing who they are and they don't fully understand it. And they're trying to adjust to how, the, uh, how the world will respond to it, but also how the people he loves will respond to it. And I really connected to it in that sort of teen angst way. But yeah, man, I couldn't live with myself if I made a movie about a guy with webs coming out of his fingers. It's the fucking Alien 3 thing, man. <laughs> it's still haunting him. Oh, yeah. That mistake is still haunting him. That's the problem. He's been yeah. running from it for ages. That movie was only a mistake to him because of the circumstances in which it was getting made in the first place. Right. I think it could have been like a really great film if you know so many things didn't get in the way. Yeah. But still. Uh, the sound design here is amazing. Oh, my God, yeah. At first, it was like... It, is something wrong with the sound in our theater? Like, mm. did they get a bad print or something? No. Nope. So did you read into, like, what they did to get the sound design the way they wanted to? I I heard it, and I immediately thought, oh, this is the way they used to do it. Right. So they, it's not like they just use old microphones. They went and analyzed the sound waves from movies of that era mm-hmm. and actually, like, 
you know, with a, I don't know what you would call that, with a with sound meter or whatever, studied the, the color spectrum. I'm making words up as I say this. <laughs> they studied sound waves and mimicked that in the sound design and post-production. Then they played the movie in an actual movie theater and mic'd up the movie theater. Ah. To, to, they, so they're actually playing the movie through another theater and then recording it again to get the like sound of watching a movie in a movie theater in 1941. <laughs> that is so awesome. Right. That is dope. I love it. So the entire time, it. like it's nothing, it's not quite right. There's a little bit of modernness to it because Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross do the, 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 the sound design. They do an amazing job with the score. It's by a the great way. score. Cause again, I don't think you would necessarily know that it was Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Right. It is about as authentic as you could possibly get to. Yeah. This it's era. like Bernard Herman shit. Uh, seriously, dude, Trent Reznor's kind of a genius. He's great. <laughs> he really is an amazing guy. Yeah, he's great. Every, he should work with everyone. Yes. Um, yeah. And, uh, so essentially this is a citizen Kane remake. Structurally, it's very similar. Like there's a lot of flashing back and forward. If I were to give you one flaw with the movie, I'm not sure the cross cutting always worked. I'm not sure jumping back and forth that frequently was, uh, was the best way to tell this story, particularly in that climax. Like when he's at that dinner, delivering that monologue and cutting back and forth with Wells, you know what has given me flashes of the, the, the cross cutting at the end of Steve jobs where <laughs> you remember that where he's having the argument in like three different timelines with, yeah. with the same dude. And it's just like, okay, I guess this is sort of related, but I can't keep track of who's arguing with who here. Oh, you were, lo- you were, were you lost? I wasn't necessarily lost. I just thought it was a little too jarring and it didn't really let me like settle in with one moment. It was more like that for me at the beginning of the movie. Cause I sort of felt like those two storylines like coming together at that moment. So that's why it was kind of satisfying for me. And this like beautiful collision of understanding the motivation of the characters, right? particularly obviously with Mank. Hmm. Um, but like, yeah, at the beginning, it takes a second to realize like, oh, wait, I'm in this time period and period now because the the way they start every scene that's a flashback is they give you a little like a uh, script insert exterior interior. Right. Which is I, for, surprisingly for me, I was like, oh, wait, 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 I, I, I lost track of the fact that this is a flashback. Sure. You, you eventually get it. But um, yeah, I would say at the beginning, it's it's it, it's it's not at all what I expected out of the structure of this movie. So, mm. yeah, I'm not sure that was always perfect. Uh I also don't know like what the initial script looked like as compared to what this ended up looking like because Fincher brought in um, another writer to punch up the material, Eric Roth, who he's worked with several times. Yeah. Eric Roth is uh, writing Dune. That's right. When he's the writer of also, um, well, he's one of the writers of Dune, but he's he also wrote uh, uh, Forrest Gump. Yeah, just he's a great writer. Yeah, but I, I think did Benjamin Button too. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a bunch of stuff with Fincher. Uh, but Eric Roth came in for the rewrite, uh, the uncredited rewrite, I guess. I guess, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know how much of this is Jack Fincher's work and how much of it is his, but I got to imagine that Eric Roth added a lot of this political stuff. Because this is a very political movie in a way I wasn't expecting. Well, in a way that feels like it's current to now. Oh, yeah. Th- th- that's that's why it was the most distracting part of the movie for me. I'm just like, I was like, wait, what? Upton Sinclair is Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Like he's fucking Bernie. This is a movie about Bernie Sanders in many ways. Played wonderfully by Bill Nye the Science Guy. Nuts. Which was weird. What a what a casting I, call. I, I would love to interview Fincher about that casting call. Like yeah. why? Like yeah. I, I don't even necessarily disagree with it, but how did that come into your brain? <laughs> I actually turned to you guys and I was like, is that fucking Bill Nye? I was like, 
what? I can't be. <laughs> you looked it up in your phone while we were watching the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely Bill Nye. I recognize that voice anywhere. It's been haunting my nightmares for two days. <laughs> that was a huge surprise, but okay. Yeah. All right. All right. It's fine. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff about the 1% and mm-hmm. about socialism, know, socialism, and communism. And com- right. Exactly. Uh, Again, Mank is just out there just like making the argument for socialism. <laughs> it's funny though, like his character at first just feels like the puck character from like a Midsummer Night's Dream. He just comes in to fuck around right. and then just let the, the 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 pot boil even further. Right. He just is the best kind of character. I love characters like that. Like it's not like he I think he does believe in a lot of those things, but he feels like the kind of character that doesn't. He's just there to stir the pot. That's it's it. not a righteous like no. fight. Yes. No, 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 no. Right. He he's not uh Right, he's he's not like yeah. a Bernie Sanders person himself. Like yeah. he's just the troll, yeah, the Pepe meme yeah, that's just exactly. throwing a little spice into the pot and seeing yeah. what happens. At the end of the day, he'll, he'll he's like, yeah, yeah, maybe I believe in it. I don't know. I'll wake up in the morning. I'll be fine. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, you used to have characters a lot like this. Um, like every other Jack Nicholson performance it was mm. this sort of character, like the lovable loser who's the smartest guy in the room but also has a real attitude problem and can't get along with anybody. But he's very funny and you want to spend as much time with him. But if you knew him, you might hate him. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing with Mank. It's like you love watching Mank, but the second like you rely on Mank as a steady source of income or like he's your dinner buddy and he embarrasses you and throws up on the ground. It's like, oh, why do we keep this guy around again? What's that about? I don't know what it is, though. Like, I, I kind of loved everything about this character. Fucking it's love like the most affable human being ever, even though, like, yeah, he's kind of uh, uh, this disgusting human being in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> There's just something so endearing about him, like, making the rounds in Hollywood because he shouldn't be there. When he is just, like, wandering through the lot. What is Mank doing here? <laughs> love it. <laughs> Every time that happens, I'm like, go, Mank, go. I love you, buddy. <laughs> I'm just hopping in and out of trolley cars. And just, like the fact that that's that is that is lingo on the studio lot. Yeah. People are frequently saying, what is Mank doing? Here? He's that well known. I love it so much. <laughs> and he's Mank to everybody. Exactly. The fact that they're calling him Mank and not Herman or anything. <laughs> it's great screenwriting i question his gambling uh you know i question just i mean Um, he's a degenerate but you think you could have helped him out i think i probably could have helped him just yeah i mean if if like advanced analytics were available if sabermetrics were available in the time of mank maybe i could have saved him a couple bucks (laughs) what did he bet on the on the election i forgot what those numbers you gotta get better odds on that bro you're down twenty (laughs) thousand votes he should be laying more money to you come on you can't bet even money on that shit Mm mm-hmm but you gotta love like the people that balance him out, like his wife in that scenario. Again, the supporting characters in this movie yeah. are fucking great. Right. Like in that moment where he does the most ridiculous fucking bet I've ever seen in my life. Right. In, in my life, the wife just is like, I have to go throw up. <laughs> <laughs> Not even putting up a fight anymore. No, she's like, what am I going to do? I'm just going to go puke because that was the most ridiculous thing you've ever done. I guess I just lost a car. (laughs) We have to talk about the best supporting character of them all. We have to. I, 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 again, I should have come in with quotes prepared. I don't have the quote. Do you have any, cause this, I, when this happened, I'm just like, this is Nico's wet dream. This is the best. <laughs> I love this character. I want every character in every movie to be Louis Mare. <laughs> Louis Mare. When he hits the screen. Incredible. You know, we spent a million dollars on pictures that never got made. You want to know why they never got made? None of them made me cry. 
I feel it here, here, and here. <laughs> I audibly in the theater went, that's Nico's favorite character. Oh, my God. I was dying. You were there with me. I was dying laughing. I love the moments when we go to a movie together, yeah. and then we collectively start laughing, and we volley off of our laughs. Right. Knowing that no one else in the theater is laughing no, as hard exactly. as we are. It is only funny to me. But I loved it. No, I thought this character was kind of remarkable. Uh, oh, man. What, he, what does MGM stand for? It's Mayor. What does he say? Oh, fuck. I wish I had this quote. You can't find these quotes because no. the movie isn't really available yet. What was it, though? Like, ugh. Wasn't it like a... Man, I don't remember. It was a weird name. <sighs> like a Jewish Shoot. name or something like that. I forgot. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a Jewish term. Yeah. Uh, Mayor's family or something. I'm, I'm butchering the quote. It, it, what does he say? Metro, uh, Metro Goldwyn Mayor. It yeah. does not. And then he says the name. <laughs> I love it. And then he walks to the auditorium and gives that bullshit speech. Just like this. You have to be cutting your salary. <laughs> <laughs> starts crying. <laughs> Steps off. How did I do? <laughs> <laughs> Just the perfect personification of old Hollywood bullshit. That's yeah. all it is. And it's wonderful. Yeah, dude. Louis Mayer, bro. Like, what a great character. They could make an entire movie about Louis Mayer, and I'd be perfectly happy. 100%. Just an amazing villain. Just the deep bench of villains in this. Oh. I mean, you uh, you already mentioned Charles Dance, who's great. But, yeah. you know, as I said, Orson Welles just popping in every once in a while. I, I want to double down. Tom Burke is really, really good in the movie. And yeah. I was actually stunned that he wasn't in it more because I just thought it's just his performance was fantastic. They they used him effectively. Though. Yeah, yeah, I really do prefer this. I know. I, I was going to say I thought it was a, a, a pretty appropriate choice. Like, what did you say? Like the secret weapon? Yeah, the secret it's, weapon of this movie. It's 100%. A great, great way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, d- do you want to just like talk about like the, the political, uh, you know, aspects of this and the plot? Like, what what it, could you have used more of? What didn't work for you? Like, because again, this is a very unconventional way of telling the story, much like Citizen Kane. I want, I, 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 I honestly keep coming back to the, to the idea that I would have taken more of this. Yeah. If anything, like give me more information about this. I just thought it was, again, it is a novel of a movie. Like yeah. watching this is, it's not homework, but yeah, it, it is somewhat intimidating with how dense it actually is. And I need so. a guide just breaking down to me all of the Citizen Kane references. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I was able to pick up on, like, oh, yeah, Heart of Darkness, that's, like, lesser Joe Conrad. You know, that, <laughs> that made me laugh. And but even some of the shots, though. Like, yeah. Like, when he first gets brought in to, to, to write the script and he's on the bed and there's that shot where the his his assist, assistant opens the door and that light shoots in. It's exactly like the scene where the they turn off the projector at the beginning of Citizen Kane. Correct. It's, it's like, to a T. Yeah. But so beautifully done. Like it, again, it's not in a way that ever feels really pandering. It it feels wholly appropriate for the moment, and it's just. I'm sorry, but like seeing this cinema again just makes me so happy. Yeah. It, it, again, like it's the thing. It's like who cares if it's pandering? We never get anything like this. Yes. Ever. Let us enjoy it, please. Hundred percent. Like there's a line in here where uh, Meg sends Joe a telegram that says, "Your only competition is idiots." <laughs> That's a real telegram that he actually sent not to his brother but to a friend of his. And it's it's famous. Like you have to come out here. He was like, believe a journalist working in New York at the time, and Meg sent him the telegram. Like, just get out here. The only competition here is idiots. Yeah. There's plenty of money to be made. It's a big telegram. It's sort of become like a Hollywood myth. There's so much of that in here. It is. It, there's so much to this script that you have to be us, I think, to fully appreciate it. 
And even I am not that much of a cinephile to be able to appreciate it. I love every inch of this movie. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know where it ranks on my, my Fincher scale. It's not better than Zodiac. It's not better than seven or, uh, the social network, but mm, it's pretty good. We'll see. It's pretty good. We'll see where it lands. Um, what was, what else was I going to say? Oh uh, yeah. Relating to what you said before, like it's a, it, it is a movie that is, you know, you don't think of old Hollywood movies or, or movies about old Hollywood to be much of the way in like, illustrating like 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 a universe or a setting but like the world building here mm. is actually really good for exactly those reasons where they uh talk about things or, or bring up like an idea for something that actually happened but they don't fully divulge it it's just kind of there in the background there are mm. many details that are there if you look hard enough right and i love that in any movie it's the best yeah um it's amazing man like the, it is it is amazing that this movie compels you to care about gubernatorial politics of the 1940s but it does it's crazy because there's something oddly sinister and scary about it and how it's all related just like the the, this idea that hollywood is just a part of a machine that just keeps on running no matter how much you try to fight it Mm -hmm. and it's very effective as sort of just like a like a rallying cry to 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 the rebels and dreamers. Yeah, then that's exactly what mank represents it's right it's actually kind of wonderful which is not something that like Fincher does all that much or, or if his characters uh, are the rebels and dreamers, they often always fail and very rarely is like fight club. For example, is a movie it's the, where it's like the movie for that, right? It is the movie for that, but very rarely does, does the hero come out on top at the end. And I just think part of that is, is Jack's. I, I just think general optimism for this craft and that I loved about it as well. Like I, I kind of loved how much of a sincere love letter this was towards Mank because I love Mank just as just yeah. as Jack Fincher did. We all kind of want to be Mank in a funny way. I yeah. mean, obviously I don't want the alcoholism, but mm-hmm. in a way, like you look at Mank, it's like I wish I had that sort of sharp stick mentality to this industry and still get away with being in the industry. Could you that's just the best position to be in. Right. Isn't it? Yeah, just as a troublemaker. Yeah. It's really good. All this stuff apparently too actually happened. As far as I can tell, uh, I mean, obviously artistic liberties were taken, but this was not just copying the Pauline Kale essay word for word. I mean, the stuff with Marion Davies actually happened. He was a friend of the couple. Uh, he was kicked out after a drunken stupor. I'm not sure it looked exactly like this. Did he throw shade at William Randolph Hearst in the way that he did? Because those are some ins- no. pretty crazy statements. I, I don't think it was. I think okay. the the sentiment is that he was in the inner circle for a while. He was often seated next to Hearst at the dinner parties, always to his left. Marion Davies was to his right. And uh, yeah, it, the, this, what I read was that he was kicked out after expressing politics openly. Okay, so that the the Hearst fa- the family and the uh, the MGM higher ups were just not happy with his politics, and so he was kicked out, and he had a lot of resentment about that. But um, I I don't know if the thing with the 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 buddy who committed suicide spoiler alert was was real or not. Like the buddy didn't commit suicide. I, I assume that did happen. I didn't read anything about it though, because that is sort of the the emotional climax of the movie. Who was that character again? That was like a director. He was like a budding director. Oh. Remember, and he had to make like the propaganda film. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah for uh, for uh, freaking um, who was the governor? Hmm. Shoot, who was the governor that that that? Uh, I don't remember. That the head of MGM endorsed. What was his name? Yeah, I, I nah. shoot. I should know that. Well, forget it. Anyway, Ford. No, not Ford. Gerald Ford. Not Gerald. Ford. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, there's just there's so much there there. there mm. There's so much to this story that in many ways is not Fincher, but a lot of it is Fincher, too. Mm, it's the character of Mank, man. Yeah. And it's a very, that's a Fincher character, all right. Yeah. It, it, made, it made me think of the social network. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of misfit that doesn't belong, that does incredible things. Yeah. In spite of a lot of adversity and people telling him to fuck off. But also much more likable than Eisenberg. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> that's also very true. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. Uh, to end, give it all the Oscars, right? Sure. <laughs> We've been saying it a lot. If Fincher doesn't win for this one, eh, yeah, he may never win. I just want to say this now, like it's early on in this process and we all love the movie and most people listening are going to watch it on Netflix the day this podcast comes out and they may enjoy it. They may not. Mm-hmm. But for those that do enjoy it and that, you know, see something in it that that speaks to them, hold on to that because it's going to get shredded for five months. Like that's what's going to happen for five months is people are going to write about it online. Yeah, I think it's overrated. He has all of the takes and the you know the reactions and the double reactions and the Orson Welles crowd is coming. It's already brewing. Yeah. And just remember this as we enter the war zone that is award I season. Fucking hate it, man. I don't. I can't stand it. Just hold on to this feeling you have now. Yeah. Because I see it coming already. I see it coming. It sucks though, because you could watch this movie so many different ways. I love movies like this, where it's it like I said, it's such a rich text where you can watch it a thousand different ways and get something new every single time, mm. and take take away something totally unique to you. How can you not love a movie like this? I can't wait to watch it this weekend. It's again. fucking great. Yeah. And yes, I'm buying it on Blu-ray. I don't care if it gets released on Netflix. <laughs> I'm buying this shit on Blu-ray. <laughs> Criterion, baby. I also own every single David Fincher film already, so I got to complete the collection. Okay. <laughs> Mank. Mank, baby. Fucking Mank. It is awesome. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Yep. My favorite film of the year, guys. Yeah, I so, mean. For mine. Fucking duh. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, what are you going to... It's a, you know... <laughs> I was like to add, uh, Hugh Keys Byrne has passed away. Yes. And Morton Joe and Toe Cutter. That's right. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. What a cool, not, I mean, not a, not, not, it's not cool that he's gone, but like to end on like an iconic villain. It's pretty neat. You know, of all the deaths this year that you're worried about a Morton Joe. I was worried about Morton Joe. Okay. You know, that's the one that hit you the hardest. <laughs> no. Not the basketball superstar that died in a helicopter crash with his daughter. That one wasn't big for you. Okay. The one that hit me the most, sorry, <laughs> that was, that was mean. Uh, no, the one that hit me the most was, uh, um, 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 Jesus Christ, who died this year? <laughs> Van Halen. Van Halen. Alex Trebek. Alex Trebek. Regis Philbin. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Should I keep going? Yeah, keep going. Joe Biden in about two weeks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, Max von Sydow was the most upsetting one okay. for me personally. Oh yeah, the girl from uh, from uh, freaking Days of Heaven also died. Yeah, that was just that one was just weird. Forgot about that. The one. Fact that we didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I love you. This has been fun. Next week, I don't know what we're doing, but we'll figure it out. No. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to be. We'll figure it out. Always fun. Always a fun time. This is movie hopping, though, kind of, right? Or do I have to come up with a quote? I don't know what we call it, uh, but it's all under the same umbrella. I, I would come up with a quote. Do you have one? No, I don't have a quote. I've been, I'm sorry I've been lacking on the quotes recently. I've been quite Your bad. quote game has been weak. Pretty bad. Fucking weak, bro. Hey, at least I can admit that. Yeah. Every week, it's less of a quote. What do you want from me? You, you start quoting things that are not movies. He's old. <laughs> I don't think you've quoted a movie in about three months. I quoted Don Rickles last time. 
for the Orson Welles pod. Just say Rosebud and get out of here. I don't know. Join the Discord. <laughs> TMT.media, too many thoughts media.com. Vote in the Chris draft. Yeah. It's a tight race, Adam. Okay, my question, because Nick got more votes. My question is, did that person he kicked off uh, give the vote back to him, or are those new? I don't know what you're talking about. You know I have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know what, I do, uh, what I'm talking about? No idea. Because that would mean he has 10. Listen, man. Mm. I, you know, he, okay, okay, seriously, because Listen, this is a different- Sinclair lost fair and square. I know. You know, sometimes, know. like, if you're William Randolph Hearst, you have to pull a couple strings. And as the Hearst of this empire- of this podcast empire. You are Hearst? <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> you know, sometimes I have to I have to meddle for the good of the country. Are you gonna fuck around? I'm not fucking around. Are you are you screwing with the I'm just saying, this process? I'm not screwing with anything. I'm just saying that if a participant accidentally unchecks a vote cast for them, that's their fucking problem. Okay. I just don't know what you want me to do about it. Hmm. Well, you could be. And by the way, Nick has gained two votes since then, so I think he got one back. What? Okay, hold on. Hold on. Bullshit. Turns out Nick's up two votes. What? Yeah. This is very weird. Very. Okay, because this is a different podcast. Who gives a shit? Um, It's very weird that Nick is winning. And this is where I'm going to actually – we're going to have to do some uh, investigation after this because – Yes. Dominion voting systems were coming for you. <laughs> you No, it's because because I knew I had the worst one, but I also knew that you had the best one. Obviously. So I'm like, wait, I won the election by a lot. So what's <laughs> but yes. But so, so then I'm like, OK, so what's going on? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think some shenanigans. Yeah. We'll have to get to the bottom of that. I think so, too. OK, well, we'll see. Listen to why is this a thing? If you want to know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. Thank you, Mank, for saving the year. Somewhat, at least. You gave us something. It's nice. Yeah. Uh, And until next time, folks. (sighs) I'm a charlatan. Charlatan.